I didn't try to get him to say yes. Not once. Yes is the most useless word out there. We don't even bother with it. If we need to close something, I never use it to close, ever. We don't, we don't, it's a useless word. There are three kinds of yeses, commitment, confirmation, and counterfeit. But on the flip side of it is, you all got a bad Jones to yes. You're addicted to it bad. This is going to be hard for you to get out of it because typically, first of all, you bring somebody in and you say, would you like to have wonderful office space? Would you like to retain your employees for years? Would you like to have great terms? Take a look at our proposal. Every yes is a hook. Everybody knows yes is a hook. Everybody knows there's a hook buried in every yes. And the crazy thing about that, this is a word that depends upon what side we're on, how we react to it. Because hearing it, we want to hear it. It's been, yes has been described as one of the most beautiful words in the language, the most beautiful word in the language. And there's a story, John Lennon, John Lennon began to fall in love with Yoko Ono when he went to an art exhibit she had. And it was kind of an obstacle course thing. He crawled over stuff and he climbed up stuff and he came to a ladder and he climbed this rickety ladder. And at the top of a ladder was a telescope and you looked through the telescope and a little bit of letters on a far wall was the word, yeah. So we love to hear it. But we're completely blinded as to how we start to react instantly when somebody tries to get us to say it. Phone rings, you pick it up, and the other and the voice says, Have you got a few minutes to talk? What's your gut reaction? Yeah. Everybody's gut reaction is no. Is anybody seriously, is there anybody in this room that when somebody says, Have you got a few minutes to talk, you go, Thank God you called, yes. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yes. Just ask me anything. Every time I say, yes, I'm going to feel wonderful. No. Where's the hook? What's the catch? What am I lending myself in for? Where's this going? Have you got a few minutes to talk? As only an individual example, first question you ask yourself, if I have a few minutes to talk, do I want to talk to you? If I have a few minutes to talk and I want to talk to you, do I want to talk about what you want to talk about? There isn't one of us who hasn't received a call from our significant other, man or woman, Man gets a call from a significant other, most important person in the world to him. She says, can we talk? <laughs> he thinks, well, I like talking to you, but I don't think I want to talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> then after that is, how long is a few minutes? My next younger sister calls me on the phone. If you've got a few minutes to talk, it's always 45. She's, and that's usually when she has a 45 minute to an hour drive in front of her and she wants to talk to me, which means at me, which means I don't say a word for 45 minutes. And I, I got another male colleague. He's an attorney. He's got he's to think stuff through. He's got a big, long 45 minute agenda, stuff he wants to walk me all the way through. Have you got a four, few minutes to talk? It's 45. And the last question after that is how do I get off the phone? Yes is a problem. Look around. Watch people. About two years ago, my director of operations is my son, chief negotiation officer of the Black Swan Group, cuts all our deals. He's a great negotiator. You would be too if you'd been dealing with me since you were three years old, right? <laughs> He's the only kid in high school who had, had a curfew. He's like, 
You're a hostage negotiator. You're putting a deadline on me. You talk people out of deadlines. He never could understand it, so he just learned how to talk me out of deadlines. But he, uh, a couple years ago, he still wasn't absolutely convinced that, that yes made people uncomfortable. And so we're coming out of a building over here in Jersey, a uh, client that we're teaching. And he says, you know, I just don't think people are always get worried about saying yes. And we're at the security guard who that morning had let us in. So he'd given us our passes. He was sitting there at work on duty. He had a uniform on, said Allied Security. So I looked at the security guard and I said, do you work for Allied Security? And he went, yes. And I looked at my son and I went, What do you want from me? Guy's sitting here in uniform, Allied Security. He's got his guard up because I asked him if he worked for Allied Security. And, and here's to give you an idea of how much of a problem it's going to be for you to get out of that. And this is a problem because your, neuro, your neurons are wired to do this. Everybody make a fist with either hand. Put your right thumb up. Put your left forefinger out. Some of you natural New Yorkers, make sure that's the forefinger, please. <laughs> now switch. Switch back. Pick it up. Come on. Don't give up. Come on. Come on. He just had a stroke. <laughs> Somebody call the ambulance. Was what I asked you to do complicated? No. Was it difficult? Yes. The cool thing about that, though, is, and some of you had trouble getting that forefinger out in the first place, <laughs> that was actually the creation of a new neural synapse in your brain. It's kind of a cool thing to think about. And how come I can do this? Practice. The synapses that fire together wire together. It doesn't take that much practice to build a new skill, but you're going to have trouble getting out of yes because your yes neurons are going to fire. And you're going to think, I'm just trying to get a yes because I'm trying to be respectful and appreciative. And I'm not the person that was selling them swamp land in Florida or the building that's on the African burial ground that we don't want them to know about or whatever the problem is. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. What happens if, as a sincere, decent human being, you try to give a battered child a hug? They flinch anyway, right? We've been pounded with this yes stuff for years. And just take a look around. Watch your own reactions. Take my offer on this to you as a hypothesis. Take anything that I say as a hypothesis. What does that mean? What's your obligation? You've got to test it out. Maybe there's enough that what I said is just worth going out and finding out and seeing if you see it at all, seeing if it's true. You should be worried about your addiction to yes. One of the single biggest contributors to people not getting back to you on the phone. How many of you have people that are not getting back to you on the phone? We call them non-responders. There was a CEO of a company that we were interacting with recently. We gave him an instantaneous fix for this, which I will give to you. And he sent us an email back and he said, I'm 12 for 12 on my non-responders. 
All 12 got back to me instantly. Now, if the CEO of the company's 12 for 12, how many non-responders are going on in his company and how much is that costing them? Because you non-responders are the, the proposals, they're the deals that you're chasing. And there's an old saying in business, it's not a bad thing to not get the deal. It's a bad thing to take a long time to not get the deal. That's what's killing you. And the non-responders are the people that you're chasing and chasing and chasing. You know how many non-responders I have or anybody in my company has? Zero. And I will happily tell you that I'm a non-responder to a number of people that are chasing us. Because <laughs> they're not dialing in properly to me. They're not taking the time to pay attention or give me this yes nonsense. Or they're sending me an email. It's a page long. How many of you like reading long emails? <laughs> How many of you send them? Hmm? It's, a, it's the same thing. It's crazy how different it is depending upon what side you are on something and how oblivious we could be. We hate long emails. We send them. You hate them, you send them. So what do you do instead? Besides stopping this, what do I want you to do? There's two things I want you to do. Here's the first one. Recognize this guy? Some of you do, some of you don't. Jack Welch, author of Jack and Winning, alongside his, with his wife, Susie. They're coming through uh, Los Angeles a couple of years ago. They're, they're, they're hustling their book, The Real Life MBA. I go to the book signing Jack Welch is at. I want him to come speak to the negotiation course I'm teaching at the time at USC. How many people try to get Jack Welch to say yes to something at that book signing? Pretty much every one of them, right? They're going to come up there, Jack, how are you? My, yeah, my kid makes, my wife makes a great meatloaf. You want to come to the house tonight? God knows what they're going to ask him. Jack, I got this invention. Would you pose with it? How many people are going to ask him to try to say yes? That day, that week, how many people try to get Jack Welch to say yes to something? You're me. You come up to Jack Welch. What do you say? And how much time do you have? You maybe got seven seconds. And even if you get to the second response after him, there's 300 people standing behind you in line. They walk you up there. Before you get to them, they say, what's your name? Chris, write on a piece of paper so Jack doesn't get it wrong. Really, that's so you don't, so you don't talk to him. And then you keep moving. On top of that, have they patted me down? Do they know whether or not I've got a gun? Have I been through a metal detector? As a matter of fact, I do have a gun, but he's not in trouble for me. They don't have my identification. They don't know I'm not going to hurt him. I'm going to get within arm's length of Jack Welch. Action is quicker than reaction. They can't stop me from doing anything I want to do. This is, this is the dilemma of bodyguards. You get within arm's length of the target, you can only stop them after they've done it. You can grab them after they've killed your target, but you can't stop them. I'm, I'm going to get within arm's length of Jack Welch. They, I could do whatever I want. I could walk up to him and kiss him right on the lips if I want to, right? <laughs> He was falling asleep. I want to make sure he's wake up. <laughs> he's going to wake up screaming in the middle of the night time. Ah! <laughs> I walk up to Jack Welch, and this is what I say to him. Is it a ridiculous idea for you to come and speak at the negotiation course that I teach at USC? He looks up and to the left, and he gives this really intense scowl on his face. 
and he just freezes. And I think to myself, I just killed Jack Welch. <laughs> he had a stroke, he's so furious, and he's gonna die, and the security's gonna tackle me, and gonna drag me on cuffs. And I'm gonna say, but I'm an FBI agent, we don't care, you killed Jack Welch. So initially when he doesn't die, I'm relieved, but he still doesn't move. But finally he unfreezes, and he looks at me and he says, this is my personal assistant's name. This is a special Twitter account we have set up to co communicate with her. I will call her and tell her who you are and what you want. I think we're going to be in Los Angeles in the fall. If we are, we'll come in and speak at your class. Calibrated no is worth at least five yeses. No joke. Because think of all the things that he thought through and went ahead and answered for me by triggering the no. Don't be horrified of no. As a matter of fact, you'll be shocked at how much farther, how much faster you can get as soon as you start going for no instead of yes. Because when people say no, they feel safe and protected. Again, data of situations. There's, there's supposedly teenagers know how to negotiate with parents because they don't take no for an answer. It's not teenagers and parents, it's humans and humans. And teenagers have learned that after a parent says no, they'll probably listen. When my direct, now director of operations was 17 and he said, Dad, can I? I would say, no. And then I would, then I would say, all right, so what was it that you wanted again? Because <laughs> I felt good. I'd already said no. I was willing to listen. We do this constantly. We do this around the world. We do this in every industry. There are stereotypes out there. There are stereotypes that Asians and Arabs will not say no. We get them to say no all the time. Theoretically, uh, uh, an Arab's version of no is inshallah, which again, like ah, all this cross-cultural negotiation. If an Arab says inshallah to you, you're in trouble. What kind of shape are you in if an American says, I'll try? It ain't happening, is it? There's an American version, there's an Arab version. Why? Because they're just people. They're using different words for the exact same things. People are people across the planet. And this is what happens. Don't even bother with yes. We don't bother with it. Any yes question you have can be flipped over to, are you against? Do you disagree? Is it a ridiculous idea? Have you given up on? Is our just short of perfect response to the non-responder. Have you given up on doing business with the Black Swan Group? Have you given up on XYZ? You send that email out and understand it's after a relationship that's been going for a while and they've stopped responding to you. They've stopped responding to you for two reasons. They're, they're losing influence on their side and the way you're communicating with them. And principally the way you're communicating with them is to try to get them to say yes or sending them really long emails. And the more yeses you get out of people, the more it erodes and is a toxin on the relationship and a lack of trust. Until finally they just stop getting back to you because all you're doing is you're pitching. You're trying to get them to say yes to stuff. Have you given up on? And you send that email or you can do it in a text message also. Sit there and wait because you're going to get a response in anywhere from three to five minutes. I'm not kidding. No joke. Try it and see. Humor me. Sit there for five to ten minutes and wait for the response. 
We've had people on a regular basis tell people that have not gotten back from them for two months responded to have you given up on less than five minutes. Now, what do you do then? There's a little bit of a problem because you're not always going to get to where you want to go with just have you given with the no oriented. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair. You get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. Why is no more powerful than yes? I think that, uh, that, that you're, what you're referring to is called the yes momentum. Uh-huh. And I think that has been so overused. Yeah. And not only overused, but it's also been, everybody's been, they've been flim-flammed. They've been bamboozled. You know, they've been conned by that two or three times. Mm. They're yes battered. And then your problem is. They feel like it's a trick or something or some strategy. You're yeah. not a trickster. Uh-huh. But you're engaging in the same methodology that the trickster used. Interesting. You know the African phrase, when you're bitten by a snake, you're afraid of ropes. Uh-huh. <laughs> there are a lot of really legitimate people that are not trying to, to flim-flam somebody, but the flim-flam artists use that on them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the timeshare industry has a, has a very bad reputation, and some of the timeshares are, are clearly very valuable because I know people that have them and are love them. Simultaneously... There are a lot of people out there that are hustling and conning people, and there's a whole industry of, that we've coached some of these people on getting people out of timeshares because they got them on the yes momentum. Mm. Now they got a timeshare that's going to bankrupt them. Now they don't remember exactly how that happened, but it was probably this yes momentum. So they weren't conscious of it, but as soon as they hear it again, even from a close trusted friend, they got burned, and, and they, they get an instinctively negative reaction to the yes momentum. Interesting. So what's the no? Is it no momentum? What's the, what's, like, what is this process of getting the no? Well, you, you know, you're getting a no, and you're getting, you're getting the information. You know, uh-huh. no typically triggers um, implementation, next steps. Got it. But a no is really a yes. Yeah. It sounds like, would you be against me sharing some interesting ideas for you? No, I'm not against it. Exactly. Okay, cool. Here's the next step. And, and probably if I'd have said, are you against me sharing some interesting ideas for you, your more likely answer is, no, I'm not against it, but I only got 15 minutes. Yeah. Awesome. If I stick to the 15 minutes or less, I got your undivided attention. If I go over 15, you're going to start to get anxious because mm-hmm. you're worried about your clock. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's the secondary thing. Like, um, if we set up an appointment, is it a ridiculous idea for me to take up 13 minutes of your time? <laughs> right. Not, not 10, not 5, but something in between. Right. Now, I know I want 9 minutes. I got it timed out. You know, I, I, I call this BDA lines. They're always showing up late. Uh-huh. They're not getting killed for that anymore. Are they more efficient? No, they just changed the time they said they were going to show up. Uh-huh. You know... You, you're, I'm sitting on a tarmac in LAX. Plane can't get, can't get to the gate. We're there 20 minutes early. The airline is, hey, we're here 20 minutes early. We promised an on-time arrival. We're here 20 minutes early. They won't let us get to the gate. And you're sitting there thinking like, this airport is so stupid. This plane is big. They saw it coming. Yeah. They got radar. Yeah. We're not a surprise. <laughs> right, right. Well, point of fact, the, uh, the airport said, you guys show, said you were showing up at 3. We ain't opening up this gate till 3. Now, you're sitting there on the airplane. You're not mad at the airline. You're mad at the airport. But in fact, the airline knew all along they were going to be early. Right. But who gave you back time in your life? Mm-hmm. 
I call you on the phone. I say, Louis, I need, I need 13 minutes. Uh-huh. You give me 15 because you ain't got 13 on your calendar. I get done at 9. Give and I'm like, time. okay. Yeah. And, and you're sitting there like, holy cow. You, you just gave me back time in my day. Everybody else is taking it away. Now mm. you love me. Mm. Next time I call, you're picking that phone right yeah. up. He's not going to waste my time. Exactly. Wow. So I like these questions to, to get, would you be against me doing this? Would, are you, uh, what's another way you could say a no question? It's usually like, is it a ridiculous idea? Are you against? Our phone calls start with, is now a bad time to talk? Mm. Instead of, have you got a few minutes? Right. Because, you know, we're, people feel safe when they say no. They feel safe. You feel, why you feel why safe. is that? Yeah, that's, you know, I get, <laughs> I'm probably because we get flim-flammed over yes. Uh-huh. And we've been flim-flammed so many times that no gives an automatic feeling of protection. I want to get to, I was digging through uh, a bunch of my archives and in there, I find Chris, uh, one of my early mentors, Brian Tracy, the, you know, the 21 closes to get the yes. And it's the standard yes at close that I felt like that was like, just, that's how I was raised as a salesperson. Get the yes, get the yes, get the yes, get the yes. Are you wearing a shirt? Yes. Are you wearing a microphone? Yes. We should do business together. Yes. Right. Like that, that silly pattern. And, and the first time I heard you, you talked about, it's not about the yes, it's about the no. I have used that nonstop sense. Can you, can you educate the listener that doesn't know what I'm really talking about here? Like give them a little backstory and, and then share the four questions that you want to get the no. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think there was probably a point in time when the yes momentum, a yesable proposition, right. There was probably a point in time when that was a good idea. Yeah. And then it became so effective that people were using it for everything. And then unfortunately, then also people that we can't trust learn to use it to negotiate, you know, all kind of bad deals. There are industries out there that are just freaking famous for just exploiting people to the point of financial ruin. Right. So then the problem is it's been used so much and so globally that people are yes battered. Like everybody over the age of 19 years old has been bamboozled by the yes momentum, you know, uh, momentum selling yeah. because it was so taught so pervasively. And it was at one point in time was, I'm willing to concede there was probably a point in time when it was effective, but now when people are yes battered, they don't know what it is, but they got a gun instinct memory in They're their late. bones that they've got bamboozled. You know, the what's the phrase? Once you're bitten by a snake, you're afraid of ropes. Right. <laughs> like you're afraid of everything that even comes close to resembling it. So you as a real estate agent, you as a business person, you as a trusted colleague even, the minute you start trying to get people to say yes, they it triggers an overdose from the person that hurt them. Even if they like you, even if they know you, you can't get past the fact that they're yes battered. You know, a grown up tries to give a hug to a battered child. Yeah. Because you know that hugs, they're actually something people are healthier if they get hugged regularly. You're actually healthy. Correct. Correct. But you try to hug a battered child, they're going to flinch because the last 
adult that tried to hug him, beat him. So your intention is not good enough here. And it's so bad that we've just found like, look, you got to get out of yes entirely. And as simple as it is, as ridiculous as it is, all you got to do is change your yes oriented question to a no oriented question. Are you against? Is it ridiculous? Yeah. Does it seem like a bad idea? Do you disagree? Would it be unreasonable? Like obviously. Would it be unreasonable? Right. And the trigger of the no, because while people have been conditioned that yes is a trap, they've also been conditioned that every time they say no, they protect themselves. Like again, I'll refer to my son, uh, Brandon, who's a genius negotiator. When he was 17 and it was dead, can I? And I'd say no before he even finished the sentence. But I look back on it and I realized that having said no and I felt protected, I was then more willing to listen. And I would almost invariably turn around with, all right, so what was it that you wanted? Now, having said no, I feel protected and now right. I'm more open-minded. No one processed Right. Hello, Black Swans. I'm going to talk with you today about something that keeps coming up over and over again. The yes mode, momentum selling, the yes momentum. Guys, I'm sorry, this stuff is killing you. It's a yes addiction. Being addicted to get the word yes is like being addicted to a drug. It kills you long term. It's killing your long term relationships. It's killing your ability to implement. It's killing your ability to make deals. The same way a drug ultimately consumes you, the yes mode consumes your relationships. Give you a great example. Student in one of my classes writes me a paper. He's a wealth manager, high net worth individuals. His secretary gets a message from his client's secretary. His client's moving all her accounts. She doesn't want to even tell him directly herself. She doesn't even want to tell his secretary directly. It's my people will call your people. She's that nervous about talking to him. He's a, he's a good guy. He's, he thinks he's got a good relationship with her. He manages to get her on the phone. She says, I just didn't want you to talk me into something again. This is what this yes mode does. People lose confidence in talking with you. They can't quite put their finger on it. They feel like they got talked into things. Ultimately, they stop communicating with you because you laid out logic or whatever seemed logical. It was yes. It was the yes trap. It stops people from communicating with you. It's, it erodes. It's a toxin that eats relationships till people get to the point they don't even want to talk to you on the phone anymore. If somebody's going silent on you, it's probably because you've been doing this yes mode nonsense to them for so much that they can't quite put their finger on it, but they don't want to talk to you anymore. What do I want you to do instead? Well, I want you to buy the book, Never Split the Difference. I want you to subscribe to our negotiation newsletter, The Edge. But real short and sweet, stop, get out of the yes mode, flip your yes questions to no questions. Instead of, would you like this? Say, is this a bad idea? Nearly all of your yes questions can be flipped to no questions. Number one. Number two, what else do I want you to do? I want you to focus on how. I want you to focus on empathy. I want you to focus on getting that's rights out of people before you proceed. Number three, when you do going to get a yes, get it more than once in the same conversation. There's such a thing out there called counterfeit yes. Have you ever been told yes and found out later it was a no? It's because you've been getting hit by the counterfeit yes and people have been trying to get as much information as possible out of you before they move on. How do you guard yourself from the counterfeit yes? Another way is to use the gym camp group method of three plus. Get, get them to say yes three times in the same conversation. 
Three straight yeses. Boom, 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 boom. Get them straight in a row. Paraphrase, mirror, label to get the yeses out of them. Why is that so important? Because the people that are deceiving us know we are so addicted to yes. And the counterfeit yes works on us so well, they only ever have to say it once. When you get the second yes, they'll flinch every time. When they say yes to something, so you come right back to them and say, so you've agreed this is what you're going to do. And here's what they'll do. They'll go, yes. They'll look away. They'll look down. They'll look in some direction. They'll flinch. They'll flinch on the second yes if it's a counterfeit yes. Take these three approaches and stop killing your deals. Buy our book. Never split the difference. Buy it on Amazon. It's the best price. You want a good price on something? Get a good price on the book on Amazon. Subscribe to the negotiation newsletter we put out, The Edge. Text the words FBI Empathy, all one word, no spaces. Don't let your spell check autocorrect and put a space in there. Text FBI Empathy to the number 22828. Sign up for our free weekly negotiation newsletter. It'll also tell you about upcoming trainings that we have. You get better at negotiation. You'll stop leaving money on the table. And you'll stop hurting yourself in these long-term relationships and turn them into long-term relationships of prosperity, not of people avoiding you. Good luck. First things first, the yes momentum. If you've read the book, and I'm sure pretty much all of you have, and probably multiple times, we don't like yes. If you've learned the yes momentum or mere agreement, I imagine you probably got a problem with some of the things that I'm saying now and will say. But what are the problems with yes? The reality is we stay away from yes because there are inherent problems with yes. The reality is people feel tied down when they are required to answer with a yes. The other part about this, the myth of getting people to say yes to a bunch of little things so that they'll say yes to the big thing is in fact a myth. Do you want to make more money? Uh, do you wish you had more time? Do you wish you could go out because you know the, the pandemic's getting in the way? Do you want to give me $10 million? Doesn't actually work that way. And the other thing about trying to get people to say yes is it unfortunately shows a serious lack in emotional intelligence. Because at face value, yes is going to make people nervous. And if you're forcing people into a place where you know they're going to feel nervous, the emotional intelligence is lacking. So we stay away from this altogether. We, we look at this as basically it's a bear trap at the end of that rainbow if you're on the yes path. And so what's our alternative? Our alternative is no oriented questions. All of you that have read the book have seen this. You have some feel for it. And so real quick, I'm going to share a short story with you. Some of you may have even heard this on Chris's keynotes about dealing with Jack Welsh. So Jack's in LA several years ago. While Chris is living in the area, he and I at the time were actually teaching a negotiation course at the Marshall School of Business at USC for the, uh, the graduate program. He goes to a book signing to see Jack. Oh, and if you don't know who Jack Welsh is, obviously he's an author. We're talking about Chris going to a book signing to get an author from him. But he was a huge businessman. He's not with us anymore, but he ran GE in the 80s and 90s, turned it into one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. He was actually named manager of the century in 1999, which 
I don't know if there's a higher accolade than that. And he, he developed this rank-and-yank system at GE and, and was also adopted in many other places in the corporate world, which essentially means you don't hit certain standards, you're gone. There is no second chance. You got a standard to meet. You don't get there. We're going to roll you out and bring in somebody that can't get the job done. So very big guy, philanthropist, author, a lot of people look up to him and, and, and follow his doctrines as a businessman, even still today. So Chris is at this signing. He wants to see if Jack will come teach at his class at USC. Now, if you know anything about book signings, you got about five seconds with the author. Security's job is to keep people moving through. Chris doesn't have time to have a full conversation with Jack. Do an accusations audit, do a summary, label and mirror his responses. He doesn't have time to do any of that. He's got to, he's got to do a quick hitter, and it's got to be emotionally intelligent, and he's got to do it now. And so he walks up to Jack, and if you've heard the story, you know that he says, is it ridiculous for you to come speak at my class at USC? And as the story goes, Jack gets a very intense look on his face, looks up and to the left and just kind of freezes with this very angry look. In that moment, Chris thinks to himself, I just killed Jack Welsh. He's an old guy and he's so angry at my question that he's actually having a stroke in front of me and he's gonna drop dead and security's gonna drag me out of here by my ankles and I'm going to jail. And after about 10 seconds of this intense look, Jack looks back at Chris and he says, here's a Twitter handle that's private that only people use internally in my company. My assistant actually runs this as me. I'm going to let her know that you're going to reach out to her through this Twitter handle so that we can keep in touch. And I think we're supposed to be back in L.A. in the fall. This is sometime in the spring of that year. He says, if we're back in L.A. at that time frame, I will come speak at your class at USC. Now, the long of it is, Jack wasn't, in fact, back in the fall. Very busy guy, couldn't make it, so it didn't happen. However, he got the commitment in the moment. Why is that? Obviously, the no-oriented question. But what happened? What happened in Jack Welsh's brain in that moment that made it so easy for him to answer? And the crazy thing about no-oriented questions, and I wish we could point to a specific brain science study that lays this out. Maybe there will be soon, right, with fMRI machines and this wonderful technology and being able to plug electrodes into people's brains. I'm sure there'll be a study at some point that explains how this works. What we've observed as negotiators, as content experts, as former hostage and crisis negotiators, when you allow someone to say no to you, and in fact, when you aim at someone saying no to you, it clears their thought process. As a lot of you have thrown into the chat, some of the problems with yes, because yes makes people nervous, the instant reaction is, how do I defend myself in this moment? And that clutters up the brain. It doesn't allow us to be cognitively flexible when we're worried about how we have to defend ourselves. And so he confronted Jack over a very specific want, did it without a confrontational reaction, and cleared Jack's thought process to lay out the implementation of how it would work all at the same time 
with a very simple question. And so you can take our word for it, or you can do what we're going to implore you to do as a result of this class and our next two. Go out and start executing this stuff if you're not already. If you are executing this stuff already, then you should start developing your go-to list. If you listen to anything we've talked about before, you know we talk a lot about go-to labels. The reality is when the heat is on, you fall to your highest level of preparation. And as a result of that, we like to have go-to lists of every single skill that we talk about. And we keep that stuff near to us, right? Laminate it, put it in your jacket pocket, make a list, put it on your desk. We even had a, a good client and now friend of ours sent us a picture of his office. And he had what we would refer to as situation boards set up in different frames all over his office that had lists of skills that he executes on a daily basis in his negotiations. So it's going to help you to have a cheat sheet. Cheat sheet never get beat. That's what we like to say. And so that should apply to the Norrington questions as well. As you can see on the slide here, on the left, we have our classic yes questions. On the right, we have our classic versions of how to begin a no oriented questions. Would it be impossible? Is it a bad idea? Am I out of line? Is it, would it be out of the question? And so what I'm gonna ask from you now, here's a chance to get some more coaching from Sandy. This slide is, an, is, is a more extensive list of classic yes questions that everybody asks. I'm guilty of asking them in the past. People on our team were even guilty of asking these things in the past. And so pick one or two of the questions off this list and please translate it to a no-oriented question in the chat. And the other thing about this, this is actually a fairly decent prep model. Any yes question can easily be translated to a no question. A good way to do it, 10, 15 minutes before you walk into a negotiation, you want to work on your no-oriented questions. Take a piece of paper, draw a line down the center. On the left, add, put the questions that you would normally want to say, have them say yes to. Don't you agree that this is going to help your company? Don't you want to sign this contract? Don't you want to move forward so we don't waste any more time? Whatever. Draw that line, and on the right, just simply put the no-oriented translation of what that is. And that's a really good way to start getting yourself acclimated, starting to develop your go-to list, as it were. And so last thing I want to mention about this, something we highlight in the book, but it's not laid out here in the slides, is simply the no-oriented question that's phrased, are you against? And this, if you're in any sort of sales role, maybe sales isn't necessarily attached to your title, but there is a sales element to what you do. And for all intents and purposes, we're always selling ourselves, right? I mean, we all know that inherently. And so this are you against has actually shown to be a tremendous closer in the sales world or the closing world, right? However you like to look at it. And simply, are you against moving forward? You've gotten all the way through the conversation. The value has been established. The rapport has been established. 
and you still seem to be at impasse? That's a great question for that moment. And it's yielded tremendous results. And so we want to offer that to you and allow you to start using it too. So please feel free, get your list started, get your go-tos going, and you're going to find yourself in a much better place. Implementation. In any business deal, yes is nothing without how. An agreement is nothing without implementation. And if your implementation isn't discussed to some degree in advance, then it's a guarantee of a tremendous amount of time lost going back and fixing the mistakes that you should have seen coming in the first place. Mm. Or if you haven't talked about implementation in advance, as soon as it starts to break down, both sides go like, well, I'll wait for the other side to start fixing this. So anger and frustration is building. And then when somebody finally does say something, they're screaming at each other. Mm. Like I was in a, I did a negotiation to pull windows in my son's house a few years ago contractors probably pretty much the same worldwide you know they, they take a deposit and they take your deposit to go finish the job that they started six months before and they're not going to do your job till they got a deposit from somebody else mm -hmm. so i i know this is it, what they do so i negotiated to try to save this guy from himself if i know that's probably how he's doing business we're not going to do it like that. Mm. So he says, well, you know, how do we do this? Eh, you give me a deposit. You know, your windows are in six to, three to six weeks. Uh, I'll call you and we'll arrange for put them in. I said, well, how do I know they're going to be in three to six weeks? And, well, they always are. They always are. You know, and again, the, the issue isn't whether or not he answers. It's the process I'm putting him through. So finally I said, okay. Dress and implementation. So you keep saying the windows are going to be in by three weeks. If you don't call us three weeks from now to tell me the windows are in, then you give me permission right now to call you on the phone and call you names. <laughs> And then what did he say? <laughs> well, he said, ah, just don't worry. So in two weeks and five days. Wow, he shaved off time. <laughs> he calls my son. Oh. And says, just want you to know the window's right here. The window's <laughs> right here. And we're getting, you know, because I just addressed implementation in a way that he didn't want to have happen. So he dropped all his other nonsense that he was doing with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Because I addressed implementation up front. We got the windows in. And because I did it nicely, you know, I made him think it was his idea by asking how and what questions. Then when we had problems on down the line also, you know, he, he handled everything really easily. We, you know, we had an issue with the door. We had some other stuff. and But I, I didn't want any anxiety to build up on the unforeseen problems, which always drop in. That's amazing. And how did you know what it was that he didn't want? Because he clearly didn't want to be called names. Right. Well, I did it kind of playfully. And, you know, right. we went back and forth with him a little bit. Playful and, you know, hostage negotiation, late night FM DJ voice. Business negotiations, playful voice, mm -hmm. which you do naturally. Right.
you know, and I don't, I think you probably, your emotional intelligence, you probably just discovered that people wanted to deal with you the more that you smiled and the more that you're playful and pleasant. And at point of fact, that correlates really strongly with how many deals people make and how their long-term relationships play out. That's really interesting. I hadn't ever particularly thought about that before, so I'll take that. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Summarize the situation. Summarize the situation from the other person's point of view. If you're summarizing and you've done it right, the other side is going to say, that's right. You got to get them to say that's right. Not you're right. They say you're right when you've been pitching and they want you to shut up. You're right is secret code for please stop talking. We sort of joke around in my, com in my company. We say you're right is code for F you. <laughs> the two millimeter shift is describing to them, and this is what Mike was talking about earlier. Discover what's important to them. How do you know when you've discovered it? When they say, that's right. Not you're right. They say, you're right when you're pitching. They say, that's right when you reiterate it back to them, what the world looks like to them. There's stuff here that you will never know unless they tell you. And they will only tell you after they've said, that's right. And they will then correct you and let you know what matters to them, which is a lot quicker way than laying out a 10-point value proposition when only three of those 10 matter. Because all the time that you spent on the seven of the ten that don't matter are wasted time. It is what everybody else is doing to them. Does it work on sociopaths? This is an American that was kidnapped in the Philippines, and this is a sociopath that's got him. And this is a rape and kill and murder and head chopping terrorist, straight out of the movies. And this is the negotiator that I'm coaching. Now, our sociopath is calling for $10 million of war damages for 500 years of oppression from the Spanish to the Japanese to the Americans. It's a smart move because it makes $10 million sound like not that much money. Fishing harm, fishing rights violation, economic harm, everything that's happened over the last 500 years. Now I realize right now you're tuning this out because you've never been in a discussion when someone was mad at you and they were bringing up things from the past that didn't have anything to do with you, did you? <laughs> People don't do that. That's just crazy. Only terrorists do that. So we get into this and we go back and forth and finally we got to hit the reset button. This is what we refer to as the birth of the that's right moment because I coach my guy to say, today all we're going to do is get the sociopath to say that's right. And you're going to summarize everything that he said and especially the bad stuff about us. That's where you're going to have trouble because you only want to talk about the good stuff about you. But from their perspective, the bad stuff about us and lay it on thick because in this stuff, this tactical application of empathy, this tactical application of FBI empathy, if you're not laying it on thick, you're not laying it on thick enough. So we get on the phone with this guy. I'm coaching the negotiator and I, and I coached all over the world. That's what I did. I coached negotiations. And he lays, my guy lays it all out. 500 years of oppression, Spanish to the Japanese to the Americans, atrocities under Blackjack Pershing in the 1900s, violation of the fishing rights, economic harm, injustices, unfair. You're not Filipinos anyway, you're Moros. And you're being oppressed today by a puppet government in the Philippines that's held up by the last colonial power, which is the Americans. And he goes on and on and on. 
And finally, he gets done. There's a moment of silence. And the sociopath on the other end of the line says, that's right. And in that moment, we went from $10 million to zero. The ransom was never mentioned again through the duration of the kidnapping. It went away. It was just gone. Kidnapping took a couple more twists and turns. A couple months later, the American walks away. Jeff Schilling, the American, just walks away. Local farmer sees him walking down a dirt road, sees, knows he's got to be Jeffrey Schilling because there ain't that many black Americans walking around south of the Philippines. Says, you must be Jeffrey Schilling. Says, I am. They fly him back to Manila. The military, they hold a big press conference. President of the Philippines on one side, Secretary of Defense on the other side. Secretary of Defense says, in a daring rescue operation, we have rescued the American Jeffrey Schilling. We shot all these terrorists and they were mortally wounded. They went off into the brush and died. That's why we don't have any bodies to show you. But it was a daring rescue operation. Daring operation. They gave him a ride. I'm back in the Philippines about three weeks afterwards. Another kidnapping has gotten kicked off, and I kept up, connect up with my guy, and he says, you're not going to believe who called me on the phone. I don't know. The terrorist, the sociopath. He still knows my guy by his undercover name. He's got his undercover number. What do he say? Have you been promoted yet? I don't know what it was he said to me on the phone. I was going to kill the American. Really good. They should promote you. He hangs up. What's he saying in that moment? I felt respected by you. I deal with you again. That's what he was saying. He was telling them that if they had to deal with each other again, he felt respected enough that he would be he would be willing to deal with them as a peer, peer to peer basis. Understand the terrorists got nothing. Nothing. His organization ended up in a shambles as a result of this. And he was still willing to deal with the guy that got the dice right out of him. Everybody you deal with, everybody you deal with, regardless of the outcome, should feel that way when they get done interacting with you. Hearing yes is a bad thing to hear. So don't say yes. Yeah, yes in and of itself. I, I would much rather say, you know, okay, I'll do it. I'd, I'd, lo I'd love to say you win. Because when you win, you're going to perform. Hmm. Yes is nothing without how. I need you to perform at a top level. Hmm. You perform at a higher level when you feel like you win. If I if I hear if you look at me and we make a deal and you say okay, well that's a resigned okay, and we're going to run into trouble when we go to implement. Because the, the minute anything hmm. bad could happen by you by your inaction, you know there's a phrase never be mean to someone who could hurt you by doing nothing. Hmm. which nearly everybody can hurt you by doing nothing. Right. Um, so saying, okay, I'll do it. Right. Or yes, you win. Or you win. Right, right. I, yes. I, I want you to feel like you won. You win. So You got the better end of the deal. Yeah. Because are, are you, are you going to hold to the deal if you got the best end of the deal? Right, of course. You love it. You can brag yeah. about awesome. it. Awesome, yeah. I got the better end. Huh. Right. So you win. Okay, I'll do it. You win. You can do both of them together. Um, if I say it, that's good because you won. If you say it, it's bad to me because you feel beat. Mm. I don't want you to. I don't want you to feel beaten. Right, right, right. Which is one of the real big problems with negotiation because since since I've been getting helping people get better at it, like I get more stories. A guy says, "Let me tell you about this deal. I had them over a barrel. There was nowhere for them to go. 
You know, for all intents and purposes, I took them hostage. Well, I, I guarantee you that the person they beat um, was as passive aggressive as possible on the implementation of that deal. Mm, they didn't feel they good about it. Money on the table. They didn't feel good about right. it. Right. Huh. Right. So always make the other person feel like they got the better end of the deal. Right. Right. They won. And yeah, they won. And it was their idea. It was their idea. I like your idea. I'll do it. Something like that. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean that that that's really good. And so that's why the one usually the one word answers of yes and no, those are also frequently misunderstood. Mm. You know, there's three kinds of yeses. There's commitment, confirmation, counterfeit. Huh. And most people are used to getting lured into a trap with yes. You know, would you like to make more money? Is it a true this is the off season? You know, whatever setup, yes, there is. <laughs> Would you like? Okay, yeah. Um, you know what's leading someplace. Yes. One of my uh, one of my students is on a honeymoon, and he's wanting to get um, uh, an upgrade on his bungalow, and it's the off season in this in this resort. Now, what they typically do is they cut prices on on their basic rooms, but, but they not don't the honeymoon cut, suites. But not the honeymoon right. suites. And he, but he knows they're all vacant. Now, what he he doesn't want to cut price on a regular room. He wants a honeymoon suite, and he starts out the conversation with like, you know, isn't it true this is the off season? That general manager knows there's a trap there. So what's know, he say? And, and so the guy starts going sideways on him immediately. Oh, really? He didn't say yes. Right. He didn't want to say yes because he knows that yes is commitment and yes is probably a trap. And he he knows I don't know where you're going with this. But you're going someplace. That's what he said? Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened? Well, and, and so then uh, my student realized that, you know, he fell into this, this yes trap thing. Mm. So he had to kind of he had to kind of get back out of it. And they started talking. And instead of trying to get yeses and nos on him, he started describing the situation. It started showing him a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm sure, you know, a lot of guys on like me come in. We want a room. We don't want to pay anything for it. You get so many tourists that are in here in the off season, and they're cheap. That's why they're here in the off season anyway, because they're cheap to start with, and they right. don't want to pay anything for for anything anyway. And now the the managers appreciate where the guy's coming from. Uh, so he ends so up leading getting, with the negative, right? He ends up, he ends up getting the upgrade. Really? Yeah. Free because he built a relationship and yeah. The guy the guy the guy's got an empty room. Yeah. Never be meeting somebody who can hurt you by doing nothing. Not giving you the the empty room. Is doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you want this guy to give you a favor, and he doesn't own the hotel, <clears throat> and those rooms are normally vacant anyway. So his owner, whoever owns the hotel, they're not mad at him because those rooms are empty. They expected them to be empty. Yeah. So he's got options. You know, ultimately, you want to make the pitch like, you know, you give me that upgrade, I'm going to be a fan for life. I'm going to tell everybody I'm how well I'm I was promote treated. It. Yeah. I'm going to tell all my friends about this. Something I've done for like the last ten years. A friend of mine told me this line that he's like you know if you ever want an upgrade if you ever want like something better in the deal use this line and i swear i've been using it maybe it's been wrong but i'd love your opinion all right i say what's the chance you can help me with this all right so that's a that's a what question to start what's with. what's the chance two things about that that yeah. i like um first of all it's a what question yeah and secondly um what's the chance you can upgrade me you're uh elevating the person when you're asking for help so you're giving them power right right the opportunity to have power right yeah, so there's, and and I don't know that I'd change that sentence at all. I might say in advance, like, look, this is really going to seem greedy of me. 
Mm. You know, because you can't, you can't leading with the negative. Leading, leading with the negative. Wow. If you if you try to call out a negative that's not there, you won't plant it. If you try to deny a negative that's not there, you plant that baby. And that's why you have to know the difference between a denial and a straight observation. And those, that's a subtle difference because you're go, you're probably going to want to say before you ask a guy for a discount. You're probably going to say, this guy's going to think I'm cheap and I'm greedy. I don't want him to think that. Mm-hmm. So if you mention it at all, your gut instinct to say, look, I don't, want to, I, don't want, I, want you, I don't want you to think I'm cheap and greedy here. That's a denial. That plants mm-hmm. it. So uh, I bet you might think that I'm being a little greedy. I'm sure it's, I'm sure I'm sure it's, it's going to seem across greedy. I'm coming, that, that yeah. I'm being greedy, but what's the chance you can help, you can upgrade me? Yeah. Yeah, you can support me in getting up. And, and so, if you're not, if asking for an upgrade as a human being, the guy's going, no, that's not gritty. You want them, you want them thinking no. You want them saying no. Mm. No is a great answer because when somebody says no, they def- have just protected and defended themselves. Like it's ridiculous, the most ridiculous question that they would never say yes to. Like if 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 at the end of the negotiation, uh, if I can't if my one of my last things I'm always going to say is, like, if you can't budge at all, I'll say, all right, well, look, uh, it seems like you're powerless here. Oh. Because nobody hurts. wants to say yes to oh. that. <laughs> wow. Seems like there's nothing you could do. Seems like wow. you're completely powerless here. And they'll put you on hold. They'll find a way to help you. <laughs> so it seems like you're powerless. If you can't help me, it sounds like you're powerless here. Right. Nobody ever wants to say yes to that. Wow. Yeah. That is powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you use that a lot when you're We're at the end of the any phone deal bill or anything or something? You at know? the end of any deal, if we haven't come to an agreement that that I'm happy with, that'll be the last thing I'll say. It seems like there's nothing I could say, and it seems like you're powerless. It seems like nothing that you could say to them to right. get what you need, right? Or for them to move right. the deal points, and it seems like you're powerless. Right. They're powerless. Right. Holy cow. That's, yeah. that's powerful insight. So yeah, we, we a lot of people have cut deals by they thought it was completely in the tank, and they're actually just trying to end positively. It's really it's critical to end positively. Work on this. This is going to be a little bit of a difficult habit to break. Getting out of the yes habit, you have a yes addiction. To give you an idea of how tricky it can be to break your yes addiction, because this isn't complicated. Make a fist with either hand. Put your right thumb up, put your left forefinger out. Now switch, switch back, switch, speed up, quicker, quicker, quicker. If I'd asked you to do that while you were standing, some of you would almost have fallen over. Was that complicated? Well, it was awkward. Your brain's not used to doing that. Your brain can get used to doing it without, with a little bit of practice, but initially that's the greatest barrier to learning, the initial awkwardness. You're gonna feel ridiculously awkward getting away from your yes addiction. You use yes to be respectful, to use yes to be appreciative, you have an, a lot of great reasons for using yes, but unfortunately, 
so many other people are trapping everyone else with yes that most of humanity is reacting like battered children. You try to hug a battered child, they're still going to duck, even though you meant to hug them. Wasn't your fault. But it's still the syndrome that everybody's dealing with. So, if you want to know more, and only if you'd like to know more, I can promise you, if you just move that's right into your interactions and yes out, you're going to make an exponential leap forward. You are going to be delighted at the number of deals that you will make when you are getting ready to give in. Now, what would you have done normally? You know, how many would you like? Would you please commit now? Can you pay before the close of business tomorrow would be the normal thing? But it's going to be too late. But I, you help people think by switching out of yes and into no. I don't bother with yes. We don't bother with yes. I could, I could go, I could belabor it at length. Yes is commitment. Commitment creates anxiety. No is protection. Protection makes people feel safe and secure and helps them think. Anxiety interferes with people's thought processes. Every time you try to get somebody to say yes to something, you're creating anxiety because they say to themselves, what have I let myself in for? What's the catch? What's the hook? Where's this going? What are you trying to do to me? These are anxiety-creating instances which interfere with their ability to make decisions. It's not me telling you this. This is neuroscience. Anxiety slows the brain. Don't take my word for it. Okay, fine. So what if no is not enough? This is, this, is, this, is what, this is really what sold the book to the publisher. They'd never seen anything like this before. It's in our utter disdain for yes. Because what's the most famous negotiating book in the world anyway, right? Everybody knows getting to yes, right? Yes is supposed to be what you want to get people to say. Yes is not what you want people to say. This is what you want them to say after the no. Now, that's kind of disappointing, right? Like, that's not special. That doesn't make me feel good the way yes makes me feel good. I love yes. I got a bad addiction to yes. I'm happy when I hear you. That's right. It's, it's not what it is to you when it comes out of their mouth. It's what it is to them. That's right is what people say when they think that what they've just heard is the total and complete truth. There's two simultaneous things that happen. It triggers a subtle epiphany in people's brains. There's a chemical change with epiphany. They feel better. They feel smarter. They feel clarity. Stephen Covey's advice from way back when, seek first to understand, then be understood. And so we thought, okay, all we got to do is say to somebody, I understand. And then you, t then you get to talk, right? Because they're ready to hear you. No. It's the changes show understanding first. Trigger a that's right. Then and only then are they ready to hear you. What, whatever your political, whatever political side of the aisle you're on, I'll give you an example to prove it to you. Last presidential election, the two candidates were on TV engaged in a debate when whichever candidate you loved, when you decided to vote for them, they said something in the debate you thoroughly believed in. You didn't look at the TV and say, you're right. You looked at the TV and you went, that's right. That's what people say when they're all in. They say, that's right. 
I, I don't even bother with the word yes. And when we were, when we were working on the book, uh, one of the guys that I was working with, he said, hey, how'd, how'd you get the, as a hostage negotiator, how'd you get kidnappers to say yes? Only question I can remember being thoroughly stumped by, because I'd never really thought about it that hard at that time. And I said, no, we never did. It's a useless word. So we didn't even bother with it. So some of you are sitting there, sitting there thinking right now, like, okay, fine. Now what do you want me to do? Because that's all I do. And you know what? I close deals that way, too. You can't tell me that I don't close deals getting people to say yes. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying your batting average isn't anywhere close to what it should be. You're batting 125 when you should be batting 350 for you baseball players. Yeah, stick to 125. You want to stay there? Because this is what it looks like, and this is why it fails. Would you like to have a more efficient system? Would you like to have more customers? Would you like to have more free time? <coughs> Buy my product. <laughs> now this is, maybe there was a point in time when this was a good idea, maybe. But the swampland timeshare salesman, the coupon book, the $50,000 coupon book salesman has already battered them so hard that they're battered by yes. You guys know anecdotally what happens if you come across a battered child and you try to hug them. They still flinch and jump back from you. But wait a minute, I was trying to give them a hug. I'm a good guy. I meant well. I wasn't trying to trap them. I was trying to have integrity. It doesn't matter. They're battered. Everybody's battered by yes. You, you got to stop this. You got to stop it. Okay, fine. You convinced me. Now what? One of the biggest surprises that I took really to heart in the book was getting to know yeah. first, where we're so wired. I mean, we're completely wired for the opposite. For example, on a recruiting call, if I call a typical agent, you know, who doesn't know who I am, I may say, hey, you know, Chris, this is Alex Vidal with Related IG, blah, blah, blah. How are you doing today? By the way, I see you're a great agent. I was calling to see if you would be interested in learning more about my company. And the typical answer is, no, I'm happy where I'm at. It's a 30-second call. Right. I read your book. I sit down with my leadership team, and I say, guys, I want to try something different. Just, ha just hang out. I'm going to put it on speaker. So I call Chris, and now Chris answers the phone. And I said, hey, Chris, this is Alex Vidal with Related SG International Realty. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm like, oh, man, I'm doing great. I already know you're a great agent, just the fact that you even picked up your phone to begin with. And they start laughing, you know, because realtors in South Florida never answer their phone. So then I follow it up. I go, let me ask you a question. Do you want to make less money this year than you did last year? And they say, no. And I'm like, no? No, of course not. Of course I want to make more money this year than I did last year. Oh, it sounds like you want to make this your best year ever. I do. Well, that's why I was calling. I want to show you how my brokerage can help make that happen for you. And I got the no right away. And then you got the no out of the way. And then I followed it up with, you know, the, the mirroring and the labeling and all that. And it was very interesting. My average recruiting call went from 30 seconds to 10 minutes. Wow. And just using that opening line. And I don't care. I'll share it with my competitors. I, I really, it doesn't really bother me. They are spewing out information literally using the mirroring and the labeling. What is it about people's need to want to say no 
And what are the benefits of getting that no out of the way first? Yeah, you know, um, we're conditioned. There's some conditioning out there that, that we got to recognize. It's just true. Yep. So we've gotten conditioned that every time we say yes, somebody's trying to lead us into a trap. Somebody's trying to get us to say yes. You know, the uh, momentum selling says each yes is a tie down. A tie down takes away our autonomy, a basic human driver of what we are as human beings. Not what we are as males or females, not what we are as Westerners, as human beings. And this is about human wiring. You can't point to a, a civilization in the history of mankind that was content as slaves. It's driven us since we crawled out of the swamps. So these tie downs take away our autonomy and immediately begin to diminish rapport as we take away somebody's autonomy. And so we begin conditioned that if somebody's trying to get us to say yes, we're under attack. We've also conditioned ourselves is when we say no, we've just protected ourselves. We've just done something to preserve our autonomy. We're safer every time we say no, which is why so many people's default answer is no, not because they thought it through, but they've conditioned themselves, which means they feel safe when they say no. There's a neurochemical response. Sure. The chemicals that you feel when you say no make you feel safe and secure. Consequently, you're more willing to listen. Your guard's not up. You've protected yourself. So you start out with that question right away where somebody says no, then they've just gotten a hit of all the chemicals that make them feel safe. And now they're willing to talk to you. And then you've got a, you've got a, your, uh, your follow-on moves are all designed to make them feel heard. Like you're interacting with them instead of against them. I mean, it sounds like you'd like to make more money. That was based on their response. You instantly prepare yourself to go into a collaborative conversation. Again, they're not threatened. They're not being attacked. They're not under siege. And now it's, it's, I'm not the least bit surprised that you're going from 30-second calls to 10-minute calls because as soon as you preserve the other side's autonomy, now they can talk to you candidly. Plus, you're different than all the other bozos out there that are trying to get them to say yes. That's it. And, and you know, the, the, the typical answer is, well, I'm happy where I'm at. Oh, it sounds like they take really good care of you. Yeah, they do. Awesome. What is it that they, they take? You know, maybe I can learn something about I can do in my company. What is it that they do to take care of you? And then you start finding all these holes and then the wall just keeps coming down. We had a conversion rate of 75% from calls to appointments. It was, it was un, unbelievable. And that's why I believe so much in the book. I, I read a lot of books, but very few make an, a direct, immediate impact the way, the way yours did. Just cu curious. Um, all right. So you got to a conversion rate of 75%. What, what roughly were you doing before that? Oh, probably we would get maybe one out of maybe every six seven, eight calls, maybe we'd get an appointment. Wow. And then those appointments had to show up. The, the fact was not only were we at a 75% conversion rate, but the, the bond that we had created with those people during that phone call was so good that they actually showed up for the appointment versus, and it, I don't even have questions about the yeses, but we, you, know, you talk about in your book, the three types of yeses that we get, uh, that we typically get. Um, and so by spending 10 minutes on the phone with them, we, we actually get the approval action-based yes that moves the, the ball forward not just something to get us off the phone interesting all right three three ways to make no work for you right that's that's where we're at here today on our blog post article uh if you want to read the article it's um it is communication skills three ways to make no work for you
I'm going to skip past the first two to one of my favorites. Ask the question, would it be horrible if we sat in this section? Now, one of the things that I love about this particular story uh, is I was at a conference and Walter O'Brien was speaking. Walter O'Brien is a scorpion. Uh, Walter's claim, and I have no contradictory evidence to counter that claim, that he's got the highest IQ ever recorded. There was a television show called, I think it was called The Scorpion, a uh, long time ago, uh, supposed to be inspired by Walter O'Brien's real life, where he and his team of super smart people solve the world's problems, would come to your rescue. And so we're at this conference, and Walter's there, and Walter is a ridiculously smart dude. I've, you know, I've run across him a couple of times. We're at his restaurant, and they got this, there's nowhere to sit, and they got this section blocked off. And so somebody got to talk to him and get the waitress to let us sit in a blocked off section. Now, fortunately for me, I watched Walter walk over there and talk to the waitress, and she's like, no, you can't sit here. You can't sit here. And, you know, he tries to use IQ on her because he's got a super high IQ. And, and, and the answer is no. So I walk up to her, and I said, would it be horrible if we sat in this section? She looks around. She goes, like, no, you just got to be out here by 6 o'clock. That's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We just want to sit down and have a drink. You know, we don't want to be there for hours and hours. I cut the deal and we go right in and we sit down. So to my particular delight, the hostage negotiator succeeded where the world's smartest guy failed. So, Walter, if you're listening to this, I probably owe you a drink or a steak or something for telling that story on you. But it's a, a great example of why and all of our ways to make no work for you that People are comfortable saying no. People get into this no mode. Right. How would you go about no-orienting a confirmation question? Like, if I were to ask you, is it true you wrote uh, Never Split the Difference? I know it's kind of true, but I want to con confirm. All right, so um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you do the work, brother. You know, because okay. this, this is this about accelerated learning. Mm -hmm. So is it true? What would be the opposite of that? Is it false? There you go. Or is it correct? Or is it inaccurate? Mm -hmm. Now, what now? And then and then see it, running your brain through that also. Get your word, whatever word processing document you are at, you know, come up with one word false and then do synonyms. Mm -hmm. And the more synonyms that you think of for the, uh, the same word, whether, you know, true, false, incorrect, inaccurate, that's actually good mental exercise. You get in more repetitions, more reps, as we say in a black swan group. That kind of practice actually makes you smarter. I'm going to give you one more hack on that. Handwriting. Handwriting, Handwriting is an emotional attack, which you're doing right now. Very good. Very impressed. It's a good mechanism. It's another. It's another method for accelerated learning. Mm -hmm. And you, you get this down a few times. You practice it. No oriented questions may be both the simplest and one of the most difficult skills because you got so many repetitions in asking yes questions. It feels baked into your brain, and you know, kind of physiologically. My layman's understanding of neuroscience, it, it kind of is true because the electric synaptic connections got this great substance 
they myelin wrapped around it. You got a good, solid, yes-oriented caution circuit built in your brain. Building a new one, uh, when you're trying to change a habit that's, you know, however old you are, 30-some, 30 30-ish years. I can't tell, for example, you could be really healthy dude or you could just be young. But you got a lot of years asking yes-oriented questions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, synonyms, writing, handwriting it down, you build a circuit that's equally powerful and, and they'll come rolling off your lips as easily as the yes questions do. Mm-hmm. Would there be a better way to possibly get the same information but not asking no-oriented questions, like maybe labels, mislabeling? All right, so what was the question again? So you're ask, I'm ask, if I were to ask, is it true, yada, 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 would it, there be a better way rather than just no orienting it? Would it there? Would you use a better tool, for instance? You know, like potentially, a potentially a label. Although you know, there are times, and 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 I'm going to ask you to make it into a label for me. So make it into a label. Mm, it sounds like you you've written the book. Never split the difference. Right. Or it seems like. Yeah. Sounds mm. like. Seems like. Looks like. Feels like. Yeah, and you know, and so that is actually a great exercise. The, if you've got the yes question, you write it down. You want to substitute something else in. Substitute a couple of other skills, and no not to question a label. That's that much more warm up for your brain to get ready, give you that much more preparation. Because at some point in time, when you communicate with people. You're going to find that one of those is going to hit them exactly right, depending upon their personality, the, the, the moment, you know, how much sleep they got, what they had to eat, their circadian rhythm. There's all these different things. One of those skills is going to hit their brain exactly right, and it's going to really unlock a truthful response. The floodgates of truth talk is one of our tenants or clients once said so. I like your thinking, man. You're, you're, you're showing some agility in your thought. Very good. Very impressed. I tried to come up with as many questions as I could last night. and I, This is the only one I really could that was really strong. But All right, good. Yeah. All right, good. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move on. Thank you for joining. I you appreciate know, uh, it. We have a lovely parting gift for you. You should subscribe to The Edge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks man. Justin. Nice talking to you. It was a, a right, lot yeah. of fun. So, um, because you can use the, I mean, there are a few phrases that are really go-to for no oriented questions. So would it be impossible to, would it be ridiculous? Would it be, um, out of the question? Like those are three really good go-tos. Um, if you want to make it a little bit more specific. So for example, like, um, say that you have to move a meeting, like this happens to me a lot, right? Um, then you say, would it throw off your whole, like, I know you're already busy. Would it throw off your whole schedule if we move this meeting? So it's, it's almost this opportunity again, to express understanding, to express like, Hey, I know you're busy. This might throw everything off. So you can even phrase the question in that way. Right. Or something I really like to do is, would it be really difficult to, or would it be bothersome to? So like you can use whatever you think like, well, they might feel like this is annoying or they might feel like um, this is going to be really problematic for them. And so then you say that in the in that knowing question, it's almost like a way that you can kind of address whatever it is that they're going to feel 
within an oriented question, essentially. So it makes it feel kind of gracious because you've thought about this. You've thought about how is this going to impact you? Instead of just making an ask and making sure they do it, you're thinking about, okay, this is going to impact this person in, in this way. Mm-hmm. And you express that, and then they're even more likely to want to do what you're asking, essentially. It also, depending on the kind of question that you're asking, and some of the things that Davey was just saying kind of fall under this, makes the other side feel like the decision to do the action was theirs. So if you, and you can double whammy them with an accusations audit, um, yeah, you may think I'm I'm being so irresponsible with my time and my schedule. Would it be impossible or would it put you in a bad position if we could move the meeting to three o'clock? And then they're going to say, oh, no, no, it's okay. We, we can move the meeting. It's going to feel like the decision was theirs because you, you basically asked that question <clears throat> in a way that it feels like they can decide whether or not they can make the movement. But because it was kind of geared at a no-oriented question, it makes them feel like they were nice enough to take that action for you and it was their decision. Yeah, okay, like so the ball was in their court, they're doing this for you. Yes. And it, it, it lets is, them feel like they're being nice. Exactly. And that is huge when you're talking about um, where you stand psychologically with somebody. Because the more you make somebody feel like they are in control, the better they feel even when they're not in control, because you know you're asking the questions in such a way that you are literally in control, but you're letting them feel like they have the control. Um, so that that does do something for people in their brains. So it's just something to really keep you know, in the forefront of your mind when you're about to ask someone a yes question that you want a yes to, take two seconds to frame it so that they can say no, but still mean yes to you. Yeah, exactly. Then they feel like they're the ones that are that they're maintaining power, essentially. Yes, because no is a powerful thing to be able to say to someone. Let's start with talking about mastering mastering the no. This is letting them hear no, letting them feel no, without actually saying the words no. And so for your best results, it's going to be tactical empathy on the front end and then however you're going to say no. And we'll talk about the four phases of no in a, in a later session. But you're letting them hear it, letting them feel it without you actually saying it. Um, Ned, Ned Coletti used to manage the Dodgers back in the day. And um, he was famous for saying, I like to let out no a little bit at a time. And so we're going to talk about ways to actually push back against the other side without cornering themselves and without cornering you. Mastering their weaknesses, their weaknesses. Where do you think, where do you think the cutthroat's weakness lies? Not having control. That's one of them. They need to feel like they're in control. The assertive, the cutthroat negotiators are looked upon as some of the most difficult people to deal with in a difficult conversation and negotiation. From my perspective, they're the easiest because they want to feel like they're in control. And they want to feel like they got the best deal that they could. The operative word in both of those is feel. 
Yeah, Chris tells a story all the time about um, being in the international kidnapping market and the powers that be wanting to know when are they going to release when are they going to release the kidnapped victim? And Chris's standard response was when they feel like they've gotten everything that they could, when they feel like they got the best price possible. Doesn't mean that they actually end up with the best price possible. They just need to feel like they did. And and so we're talking about feelings and how stupid is that when you're talking about international kidnappers and terrorists, we're talking about how they, how they feel. And so, our job is to make them feel in control as early as possible, using deference, using subordination. You may even want to say, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that you've got the upper hand here. It's clear that you're in control here. They'll eat it up. They'll, they'll eat it up. You try it one time when you, when you go into an area, a space in your organization where you don't have the same cachet as you do in your own, but you bring to the table a special knowledge or skill or ability that's going to help this other space improve their ability to do their job. And when you come in there, you're viewed as an interloper, you're viewed as an outsider. And so as a result, you'll likely get pushback for any idea, any suggestion that you make because it's not your area and you're encroaching. And the sooner you recognize that and defer to that, the more cooperation and and, um, non-obligatory buy-in you'll get from the other side.